This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I am your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined as ever by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison. And today we're going to be continuing our series of deep dives into Liverpool's midfielders ahead of the club's rebuild in that department this summer. So far, we've looked at Curtis Jones, Thiago and Harvey Elliott. Today, our focus is going to be on Fabinho. We're live on Twitter Spaces and you can also listen to us afterwards on the Blood Red podcast platform. So, Matt, um, Jürgen Klopp has unusually been public about Fabinho's struggles this season. He's acknowledged that he's not been in his best form. Why do you think he's found it so difficult this season to hit the heights we've been used to? Yeah, it's a really hard one to explain, isn't it? I think we've seen him improve in recent times. We've seen the system change definitely benefit him, but there's no doubt about it. Before that, he just looked absolutely shattered. I think it's hard to look past the fatigue thing. I think probably confidence comes into it as well. If you start on a bit of a downward spiral, then it can be hard to to get out of of that and, and try and move beyond it. But I don't, I don't know. It's it's one of the the big, big questions that we've got this season. I've kind of over the last few weeks become convinced that he's turned a bit of a corner, but I'm still not a hundred percent on that because obviously we weren't expecting the the vast majority of this season to be as poor as as what it has for him. So the honest answer is that I've absolutely no idea quite how much he he dropped off a cliff was was staggering. But I think what we've seen over the last few weeks is if the, you can put. You know, a few players, obviously Trent has helped him. I think Curtis Jones has massively helped him. If you can put some legs around him, he's still obviously a very, very good quality player. I don't expect, you know, Liverpool to, to go out and, and replace him necessarily this summer as we'll come to. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a really interesting one in terms of, of what went wrong for him earlier in the campaign. Obviously, he wasn't the only one that was poor. He wasn't the only one that struggled. But I think he was probably the one that you'd say was... You know the the most drop off from the previous season, and you know I'm sure we'll we'll go into to some of the factors that could have played into that. But I think tiredness and then confidence or, or a lack of confidence is is the only the only two things that you can start to, sort of start to to try and explain it with because it, it was just you know really really strange to to see it. And thankfully over the last few weeks he, he has started to to turn a bit of a corner. And we'll definitely look at those past few weeks and how Fabinho's performances have improved. One thing that has sort of been a recurring theme this season is watching Fabinho in the situations where he'd normally kind of extend those kind of long leg, long legs of his and win the ball this season. A lot of the time, he's, he's just arriving late to those challenges, often sort of cynically bringing people down and making a lot more fouls, picking up a lot more yellow cards, really, than we're used to as well. But I wanted to touch on that fatigue point that you mentioned um, because it's interesting, you know, I too sort of assume that it was maybe just exhaustion, not only from, from last season, the way that went, but maybe from years of playing Klopp's football. But if you look at the amount of minutes he played within that kind of quadruple chasing marathon last year, he only ranked ninth in the squad, played just under 3,700 minutes, which is actually fewer than, than Joel Matip, which really surprised me when I looked into it. So when we look at fatigue with Fabinho do you think we're looking at maybe the volume of football or is it more to do with the specific role he has on the pitch and maybe being left with too much to do 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a combination of, of both, isn't it? It's not just last season that he's played a lot of football. I think there was um, a graph going around a few months ago that suggested that he played as much football as the average 34-year-old across his career. And obviously, he's not yet turned 30, so it's... He's played a lot more football than, you, than you'd expect. He played a lot of football for Monaco. Obviously, didn't come into the Liverpool team straight away, but has pretty much been there as often as possible since that point. There's been certain points where you know, Henderson has covered for him or it's been a slight change-up. But generally speaking, he's played a lot. He's not had loads and loads of injuries. He, he has played a, a fairly hefty volume of, of football in terms of, of that. So, I think that has to be you know, an explanation to a certain point. I think... You know, it's it, it's hard to to know what the other the other factors are with without knowing exactly. You know, maybe there's there's other things going on in the back, in the background. Maybe there's you know other issues that he's had to to overcome. It would be you know, obviously unfair to to speculate. The only thing that we can look at is is what has changed for him. And like you say, he was you know putting in challenges that just were were it, you know way off where he used to be. I think part of that is, you know, the, the position that he plays is essentially, you know, two players in one. Maybe that has, has caught up with him. It's, it is it is hard to say, but I think fatigue plays into that positional thing in the same way. I think it's difficult when you look at a defensive midfielder as opposed to maybe like a goal scorer, for example. I mean, think back to sort of the 2021 season, Sadio Mane really struggled and, and everyone would really just kind of instinctively put that down to the confidence in front of goal, but it's a lot a position that's kind of a lot harder to read, I suppose, and, and explain what why a player would drop off. And uh, it has left, I think, everyone a bit mystified, including Jürgen Klopp. But as you mentioned at the outset, Matt Fabinho has shown some signs of improvement recently. If you, if you look at the stats, they show that he's actually more active defensively on the whole since... Trent's moved alongside him, which is a bit of a surprise considering you think Trent might have picked up some of the defensive midfield slack, but he's crucially a lot more effective in the challenges that he's making ever since this sort of change of system from Liverpool. So what differences have you perceived almost to the naked eye with Fabinho and and how much encouragement should we be drawing from these recent performances from him? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get carried away, do you? There's obviously, you know, still a lot of, of improvement that needs to be made. He's not hitting the levels that he was a couple of years ago, and I think Liverpool can definitely improve on it. But I think the biggest change for me, really, is not actually in the tackles that he is making. It, it's more in possession, Liverpool, with trends in the middle of the pitch. They're able to keep hold of the ball for longer. They're able to sustain attacks. What we saw earlier in the season was more a case of Liverpool would give the ball away in a daft area. They'd all be out of position. Lots of players would be ahead of the ball and unable to get back. And you kind of had him on his own trying to deal with a counter-attack from a dangerous position because Liverpool had, had done something silly and, and given the ball away or made the wrong decision. I think it's much more controlled and it's much more calm and dominant now, which obviously if you've got the ball, the opposition then has to, to settle back in. If you can keep the ball for you know, two or three attacks when it breaks down, you win it back quickly and you do that high up the pitch. It just means that Fabinho isn't having to put out fires all the time. He's not panicking because there's players running past him left, right and centre. You've you've just got to have a bit more of that control and, and that's what, you know, Manchester City are probably the, the best example of it. Arsenal at times this season, 
the best way of defending is to keep the ball and to keep the opposition penned in. If you start giving the ball away in the middle of the pitch and giving people opportunities, obviously if Trent's out of position, if Fabinho is a little bit more isolated and he's not necessarily got that speed and that quickness that he had earlier on in his career where maybe he could get away with something like that. I think Liverpool just collectively were just doing too, too many silly things in, in silly positions. And, you know, as soon as as soon as you've put Trent into that middle of the pitch, he gives him the opportunity to, to just keep the ball for a little bit. It doesn't have to necessarily be you know, a long spraying pass. It could be something shorter. I think we've seen with Curtis Jones dropping in and doing the little short passes to, to slowly build up before you then get that progression up the pitch. Liverpool are just so much calmer and so much better in possession. The, the, the quality is starting to shine through a little bit more in terms of being able to keep the ball. We've said it all season, you know, if if you go from chaos to control, that's when you start to, to sort of see the best of, of Liverpool. So I don't know whether the numbers would back that up. I don't know whether he is having to make less challenges, but it certainly feels like that because Liverpool have been so much better with the ball. Obviously, the, the knock-on effect is you're better off without it as well. But I just think if you have to make less challenges and you've got more players around you, it just makes that job so much easier. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think you make a really interesting point about how the games have essentially just become less stretched with this new system because Liverpool have been able to exert more control. And that is the role that Fabinho was, was brought into play. He wasn't supposed to be that kind of firefighter within the, almost a basketball match landscape. He was supposed to operate within a highly functional Liverpool system. And I suppose that kind of collective improvement has naturally, like you say, inspired the improvement from him. And I think that in terms of the ball retention angle, it link, links back to what you said at the start, Matt, about Curtis Jones and how he's aided Fabinho's improvements. One of the areas he's really excelled at in terms of uh, when he's come into the side is how well he's kept the ball, really high passing accuracy from him. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly be a, a relief for, for Fabinho to have that in front of him. So now that we've sort of looked at this season and Fabinho or a snapshot of it, Let's think about what the future might hold. That's obviously our main sort of focus for this podcast. So one thing that you can't help but notice when you look at the strongest links for Liverpool's midfield targets this summer is that they tend to be number eights, more so than number sixes. So the three that have been linked most strongly, Alexis McAllister, Mason Mount, Ryan Gravenberg, are three players you look at and think, would probably play ahead of, of Fabinho and Alexander-Arnold. Not definitely, but, but in all likelihood would play um, in more advanced roles um, and maybe, well, certainly don't look like kind of the Fabinho profile, if you like. So when you see that, does that make you think that essentially Liverpool aren't intending to buy a number six and that their focus is on number eight, or would that be too much, you know, would we would be read into it too much to say that at this stage? No, I think that's fair. I think, you know, the, the way that Liverpool have set up, I mean, Jurgen Klopp has said it himself, you know, they've got to work out. I'm sure they know more than what they're giving away in terms of, of the formation and what it's going to look like next season. But there is still a bit of a question mark in terms of whether this is going to be every single week or whether it's a bit more of a sporadic thing. I think maybe against Aston Villa, it would have made more sense for Trent to be in a wide position rather than in the middle. Maybe it's more of a, a game-by-game basis. But... I think that the links do sort of indicate that you 
you are looking at, at that kind of you know double pivot there with the two players in front. Obviously, you know McAllister and, and Mount in particular, um, they, they kind of feel very natural to, to play in those positions. I think you could see you know, probably McAllister more than the Mount having to, to drop in and, and do a bit of a number six job at certain points. But I, I think that would be you know more sporadic than something you'd look to, to do too often. Um, you know, maybe there is a case for getting a new number six, but I think if Fabinho is there and he can continue what he's done over the last few weeks, we shouldn't forget Stefan Bajetic as well. You don't want to sort of get in the way of, of his progression. I, I almost just think with, you know, the, the number of players that Liverpool are going to have to look at this summer, the changeover within that midfield, the fact that Jordan Henderson can play as, as the six as well, maybe that's, you know, an extra, it's almost like two and a half players if you've got, you know, Fabinho and Bajetic that can split. Let's say Bajetic gets the Europa League, for example, and, and Fabinho gets the, the Premier League games. You've got Henderson then who can, can slot in there at certain points. I think that's what we've got to remember as well, is that, you know, obviously, if you've got Jones, Thiago to come back into it to play in these attacking roles, you've got McAllister, Mount, you've suddenly got less of a need to maybe play Jordan Henderson. So maybe he can then become a player that can do a little bit of each I think there there is a bit more cover, and I know it's it's easy to to sort of say this when you look at the number of midfielders that Liverpool have had this season and the unavailability of those options. But you know, next season Liverpool might not have quite so many in terms of pure numbers in the midfield, but they will have players who are more available. It's not going to be a case of you know five six at any one time. You would think anyway. It's not going to be a case of of that many players being out injured. So. I think they, they've got almost more options with maybe one less in terms of an actual number. And if that knock-on effect of, of that is that Jordan Henderson can do a little bit of both, maybe that's where you, your extra cover comes from. So I think that's that's kind of, of, of the way I would look at it. I'd be really interested to, to see, you know, Bajetic and, and where his sort of progression is at. Um, I, I was so, so impressed with him. And again, it's it's a small, small sample size. He wasn't in the team for that long before his season was ended by injury. But... I think that there is there is the right blend there. If you, if we assume for a second, and obviously they're not done yet, if we assume for a second that Liverpool were to get McAllister and Mount, I think if you said to me you get those two for the midfield, and you have to to sort of go with Fabinho and, and gamble that he's doing the same things at the start of next season that he has done at the back end of this, I think I'd probably take that on balance. So let's sort of drill into that a little bit further. And I'll sort of play devil's advocate on this one. Liverpool want to be back in title contention next season. They want to compete with Manchester City, who are, as they've sort of demonstrated this year, probably the, the greatest Premier League side ever. We've spoken a lot about a lack of maybe ruthlessness from the club and, and the effect that that's had. You're seeing something similar in defence with Virgil van Dijk in terms of a player who's previously been one of the very best, if not the best in his position, has regressed quite substantially this year. You've got two players who are sort of either side of 30. Um, is it not taking too much of a risk to go into next season, basically reliant on those two players after for maybe three quarters of the season? Both of them have been way off it. Surely that would be, and again, just to play double advocate on this one, surely that would be a, a little bit careless from Liverpool when they are trying to compete for, the, for that Premier League title. Yeah, no, look, like I say, I think it would be a little bit of a, a risk, but I think it's it's a position that Liverpool have, have put themselves in. You can't necessarily go out and get 
all of these players all at once. I think that there will be three or four players that, that come in, but you've kind of got to pick pick your battles almost. I think you know they'll have probably a better idea than what we do from the outside in terms of why it wasn't working for Fabinho. If, for example, they know that they're going to stick with this formation, which I think is, is probably more likely than than not, they will do that for the start of, of next season. If they're convinced that you know with even more legs around Fabinho and, and trends in that centre of the pitch that you know the the players can improve. I think that will help the, the two centre-halves as well, to, to touch on the Van, Van Dijk point for a second. I think that will suddenly make him look a, a lot better again. I don't think it's a coincidence that Liverpool as a team have, have looked better and, and suddenly the centre-halves have as well. I know there's a bit of a, a question around Ibrahim and Konate and can, you know, can he cover that channel in terms of, of that and there's still you know a bit of fine-tuning to, to be done. There's questions around Andy Robertson. Is he the perfect left-back to, to play in that system and all of that sort of thing? But I think generally speaking, the defence and the whole in midfield have, have looked a lot, lot better. So, yeah, look, it, it would be a risk and you know maybe the first couple of months of, of next season, Fabinho is a little bit more inconsistent. But then again, if, if, if the risk didn't pay off, would you be completely unhappy if, if Stefan Bajetic was to, to play that role. I don't think I necessarily would. I think, you know, from what we've seen of, of him, I think I think between the two of them there's an element of, of risk, obviously, Fabinho in terms of his form and, and Bajetic in terms of his inexperience and, and his youth and obviously his season has, has been ended by injury as well. But I think, you know, between if you took a risk on, on both of those, I would say it's it, it's fairly likely that one of them would, would pay off. And we'll, we'll touch on uh, Bicetic and maybe look, look at him a, a little bit more um, in a minute just uh, as we come to the end of the podcast. But um, an interesting point you make there, Matt, about how... And, we, and we've sort of done this when we've looked at every midfielder that we talked about in this series that we've done. We've looked at sort of through the prism of this new system, what their role would be. Obviously, it's seen really good results for Liverpool recently. It's, it's seven wins and two draws from nine games, I believe. But... It's not necessarily guaranteed to be that system for next season. It, it probably will be based on the upturn in performances and results. But like you say, there could be games where it changes. Is that a consideration in terms of Fabinho maybe at this stage not being fully equipped to play that lone six role if, it, if he is kind of maybe a little bit past his physical peak? Um, or does sort of backing Fabinho almost... Not box you into a corner because maybe that's a bit too negative a way to describe it, but does that kind of make this system a lot more essential in a way? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think the, the system has changed and, and everyone's spoken about Trent, but I think that the system has changed to help Fabinho in terms of, of that. But I don't necessarily think that if Liverpool were to go out and sign a replacement for him, for example, this summer, that would necessarily change things in terms of the way that they set up. I mean, you've got to remember there's not that many players out there that can do that Fabinho job as well as what he can. You know, it, it, it was you know a, a bit of a left field pick, I think, when Liverpool went and, and got him, but he's obviously proven them right in that period. I think you know you look at Rodri at Manchester City is is one that is the the perfect example. I think he's still fairly young as well. I think he's only about twenty six or so, isn't he? He's still one that's I mean the the peak of his powers and can do that role of, of the kind of two players in one type thing. But, you know, if you were to go back to that kind of more traditional Jurgen Klopp 4-3-3 and say, OK, Fabinho can't do it, but let's go and get somebody else. I'm not 
I'm not quite sure who that would be and, and whoever it would be maybe would need a bit of time to, to bed in as well. I mean, like I mentioned before, it, it wasn't as if Fabinho came in from day one and, and was instantly at that level. It, it took a bit of time to, to learn that. He played in a double pivot before when he was at Monaco and, and had to, to change and, and come in and, and play on his own in that position. You know, it's it's obviously something he was capable of and it's something that Liverpool had spotted when they they scouted him, but it's not something that you can necessarily do instantly anyway. So, that would be the, the question for me, really, is if if you were on the side of let's go out and, and get a player who could do that role, I'm not sure who exactly that would be. I know there's there's been links with you know Manuel Ugarte, for example, who you know is clearly a talented player that's sort of been played down a little bit, I think, in in terms of of the level of interest in there. But I just I don't know I don't know exactly who it would be. Is is kind of what I'm saying. I think. You know, even you'd look at Arsenal this season, Thomas Partey was one that you'd think was maybe their equivalent of a Fabinho or a Rodri, but you know, there's some talk that he could leave in the summer and I don't think he's necessarily been particularly brilliant. He started the season probably a little bit better and, and as Arsenal have faded towards the end, I think he has as well. So there's no kind of guarantees in terms of, of being able to, to upgrade. I think it's fair to say that you could definitely have upgraded on Fabinho a few weeks ago, but... Um, I think it's it's less of a guarantee at this point. I'm not sure, you know, who who could they go and get that would necessarily come in day one, be an instant upgrade, and offer you the same as as what Fabinho did a couple of years ago at his absolute peak. I just don't think it's it's necessarily as simple as that. So if you've already got that player, you've got a system that works for him, but also for other people as well. I think it, it probably just makes sense to to go with that and make sure that you've got the rest of the team performing at, at the peak and. But maybe he has, you know, a similar season um, next season to, to what he has this, and and maybe you have to reassess that in the future. But for me, right now, I think it's a little bit further down the priority list than what it was, you know, a couple of, of months or so ago. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The narrative around it has certainly changed, yeah, in light of his recent improvements. I think it's a really good point you make about kind of how we assume that the system changed basically to get the best out of Alexander-Arnold, who is kind of the team's number one playmaker. But historically, Fabinho has been one of the team's most important players too. So from that point of view, there was definitely a strong argument for for changing it to help him too, give him a bit more support in there. And that's obviously done the trick. And I think what's interesting in terms of the, the point you make about who would come in is every midfielder under the sun has basically been linked with Liverpool in the past 12 months, given you know we know that it's going to be such a priority for the club. But how many of them, when you actually look at it, you know, you mentioned Ugarte there, maybe he would, but how many sort of defensive midfielders have you looked at and been like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be brilliant, you know, that, that'd be kind of perfect for Liverpool in terms of filling that role. Maybe you could say Declan Rice could do that, but again, you know, Liverpool aren't going to walk away from a deal for Jude Bellingham um, for obviously a nine-figure fee and then I'm probably going for Rice, who's, who's going to cost it in, in maybe not the exact same bracket as Bellingham, but certainly not too far off that 100 million mark. Um, and like you say, like we've touched on, Liverpool already have a young defensive midfielder in their ranks. Probably the breakthrough talent of the season, one of the major positives of this season in Stefan Bicesic. And if Liverpool were to bring in you know, a defensive midfielder who was sort of 22, 23, 24 years old, then you are essentially just going to block his path, like you say, Matt. So let's think a little bit about Bicesic and 
is next season a possible passing of the torch moment in that defensive midfield position? Um, it's difficult to know really where Bicetic is at from that standpoint. He started six out of eight Premier League games between uh, the goalless draw at Chelsea and the 1-0 defeat at Bournemouth. Um, and Fabinho actually has come off the bench five times this season, which is the most uh, since 1920. Obviously, only his second season at the club. And that is partly re- reflective of the fact that there was a spell there where Bicetic was the first choice. So is he going to be ready to almost, if if like you say, if Fabinho's decline is terminal at this point, is Bicetic ready to step in and be that first choice number six at some point next season if required? Yeah, I don't think it necessarily would be the case straight away, but you could possibly see that being you know a transition. I mean, he doesn't turn nineteen until October, so it's kind of a it's maybe a, a season of transition in that position, possibly rather than kind of you know immediately that being the case that he comes in and as soon as he's fit again, he's he's the number one name on the team sheet. But I was so so impressed with him. We we really you know shouldn't forget how good he was in that period. Obviously, I've watched a, a lot of him for for Liverpool's youth teams. I know how much you know he's he's rated, but you never quite know with these players until they step into that first team picture and. It was almost a bit Trent Alexander-Arnold-like in that he was so young and he was just kind of thrown in and they obviously trusted him to, to be able to deal with it and to be able to cope with it. But I think it was just so impressive in terms of you know, the, the kind of maturity that he shows, the decision-making, the, the quality of his, his game is absolutely top level. Of, of course, you expect that with you know, a talented player who has got you know, limited senior experience but is obviously you know, a huge talent. But I just think his, his temperament, the way that he, he took to it straight away, he's, he's kind of one of those that, it, it's a bit of a cliche, but he, he's 18, but he's not really 18. He's, he's much older in terms of, of the way that he's performing and, and the way that he's playing. So you certainly wouldn't put it past him. But at the same time, I think you don't want to put too much pressure on him. He is still so young. He's still got a lot of, of you know time on his side to be able to learn. He's you know four years younger than Curtis Jones and you know, Curtis Jones has, has only had sort of the last eight, ten games where it's it's kind of come together and he's found a bit of consistency. So I think there will be, you know, certain periods where he struggles. You don't want to have to, to rely on him immediately from the get-go. I think there's got to be, you know, um, a bit of a plan around managing minutes and making sure that he's, he's in the team at the right times. But yeah, he's, he's a hugely, hugely exciting talent. And I know how Liverpool you know, how excited Liverpool are about him and, and rightly so. So it's certainly something to, to watch out for. But I don't think it, it, it's going to be a case of, you know, Liverpool don't go and buy someone in that position because they've got him. I think, it, it you know, it, it, it's got to be a bit of a, a combination of the two, I would say. We've, yeah, we've talked a lot about how Liverpool are basically backing Fabinho if they don't go out and buy a number six. But they're also potentially backing Stefan Bicetic as well. And I think if you look at players who could really sort of thrive in terms of making the Europa League their own, then he is one of the who could definitely benefit from it. And it might not actually be the worst thing for him that Liverpool are in that competition because it could give him consistent opportunities to play decently high-level opponents. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you to all those who joined us live on Twitter Spaces and thank you to those listening afterwards on audio platforms as well. Um, I've been your host, David Comerford, and I was joined by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison. We'll be back next week to continue our series of deep dives looking at another Liverpool midfielder. But until then, take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.